What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Icarus Variety with Shane Jones. What is up, inquirers, and welcome to the expanse of deep, open-minded conversation that is Inquiries of Our Reality. I'm your host, Shane Jones, inviting you to join me for today's fascinating discussion, plunging into the murky depths of mermaid lore and the theoretical possibility of such creatures' existence, then resurfacing into the bizarre phenomenon known as orbs or fairy lights, which seems to accompany all corners of Fordian research. But... Before we get into this awesome conversation today, we of course have to do news and updates in front of house stuff. So uh, as far as news and updates go, uh, still accepting questions as far as bizarre inquiries go, which is going to be the uh, Patreon exclusive show that Orn and I are putting on. Uh, we're going to be doing a 10 to 15 minute video format discussion on random questions that you guys throw at us. Uh, some of them can be fun. Some of them can be a little bit more serious, but uh, depending on the episode, depending on the question, we're going to take it into whatever direction it seems to be going towards. 
but you guys can submit questions such as if this cryptid and this cryptid fought, who would win? Uh, what if an alien invasion happened tomorrow? Or any other weird questions that you guys may want us to discuss. Uh, throw them at me. You guys can always email me those questions or you guys can hit me up on social media. And moving into the front of house stuff, speaking of social media, if you guys aren't already following the show on Instagram or Facebook, highly recommend that you do. And definitely go and subscribe to the show on YouTube or TikTok. And both of those are going to be under Open Minds Media because I accompany this show and Bizarre Encounters all in one place, make it a little bit easier for myself and for you guys to find. And uh, you guys can also go and join the Discord, which is also the Open Minds Media Discord, which is continuously building up every day. Got new members popping in constantly. Uh, Still trying to get everything down to a T as far as keeping conversation regularly going over there. But the only way it's going to get to that point is with your guys' help. So feel free to hop in, have some conversations, drop some ideas. Uh, I'd love to have a conversation with you guys. But the only way it's ever going to happen is if you guys are in the Discord, of course. And if anybody's interested in being a guest on the show or if you're interested in having me as a guest on your show, or if you're interested in sponsoring the show in some way, shape, or form, you guys can always get a hold of me through email or through social media. The email is inquiriesofourrealitypodcast.outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will, of course, go directly to my email. And I do respond to every single email that I get, so make sure you guys check your junk, spam and junk folders, make sure nothing gets missed in the process. And uh, if you guys would like to report an encounter, you guys can do so through the Open Minds Media Encounter Reports email, which is OMM encounter reports at outlook.com or you guys can go to the link tree fill the submission form for that too there is a separate submission form for that versus contacting me through email you guys will see it when you guys look on there but uh, it should be about the third tab down and it says something along the lines of report and encounter and if you guys enjoy what I do and you guys want to get some more content, you guys can always go and check out Bizarre Encounters, which is my other show that I do with my awesome co-host, Oren. Over there, we deep dive into things such as cryptids, UFO abductions, paranormal cases, individuals of interest such as Jack Parsons. Uh, we got a lot of cool stuff going on over there. We also do some interviews and encounter reports in the process, but definitely worth going and checking out. And if you guys want to keep tabs on everything that I do all in one place, you guys can always go and follow Open Minds Media across social media. And if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. Number one, of course, is to become a Patreon member. And over there on the Patreon, it's always expanding, always willing to take suggestions as far as that goes. But as of right now, you'll get things such as ad-free episodes of the show, early access to the show, lives of the show, live replays of the show, uh, exclusive giveaways, exclusive merch store discounts, uh, exclusive Patreon shows. Uh, it's oh, There's a lot going on over there and it's always continuously expanding. So definitely go and check it out and figure out which tier suits you the best. And number two for supporting the show, you guys can always donate to the show directly through Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. And if you guys donate and it doesn't give you some type of option to leave a personalized message, shoot me a message. Let me know what you guys donated because, of course, I want to give appreciation where appreciations do. Give you guys a big shout out in the show because the only way I'm able to continue doing this show is with your guys' love and support, of course. And number three, you guys can always go and pick yourself up something from the Open Minds Media merch store with Christmas quickly approaching. For all the listeners out there that you know, you may listen to the show with your significant other, go and pick them up something nice from the Open Minds Media merch store. Uh, over if you follow on social media, I will be dropping an exclusive Christmas discount code so you guys can always go and use that. Or you guys can always join the Patreon first, get that code for the exclusive merch store discounts, uh, a little bit more bang for your buck that way. Always recommend becoming a Patreon member and then go and checking out the store. But you guys can always just go and pick up a t-shirt in the process anyways. Always appreciated, of course. 
Or number four that you guys can support the show is through word of mouth or through leaving a review or rating for the show, which will definitely help out the show as far as the algorithms go. Bumps the show to the top of the list so that new listeners can find the show. It's always appreciated when you guys do stuff like that, but if you guys don't want to do anything like that, I definitely appreciate you guys just listening to the show, and I'm glad that you guys are here. And while we're talking about supporting creators, don't forget to go and check out Joe over there at Crypto Theology. Absolutely always killing it with all of his different cryptid merch designs, and he's always continuously expanding. So every time you go and check up on the website, I guarantee there'll be something new for you guys. And to all my paranormal investigators out there, don't forget to go and check out the Chattergeist, the all-in-one paranormal investigating device created by Dimension Devices. Uh, if you guys have any technical questions on that whatsoever, Barry is the guy who programs it. He runs everything, so you guys can always hit him up on Instagram. He can answer any of your technical questions that you might have. And if you guys want to support the show in the process, don't forget to use my affiliate link, which I have available on the link tree. A uh, little bit of a kickback towards the show helps me out so that I can get out to more events, uh, helps me so that I can keep supporting the show and eventually get to a point where I can hopefully do it full time. But definitely worth going and checking out. I use it myself. I absolutely love it. So I wouldn't be telling you guys about something unless I stood behind the product. And the Chattergeist is personally one of my absolute favorite paranormal investigating devices that I've personally used. But Everything that I've mentioned is all available under the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the show, researcher and author, Ronald Murphy Jr. How's it going today? Hello there, my friend. It's a. I'm actually flattered to be on your show. I will tell you, this is actually an honor to be on here. But we've went through a few road bumps getting here, haven't we? This has been scheduled now uh, for I think over a month, but something's always been going on. But we are ready to rock and or roll tonight. I'm excited to get started. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, we met at Squankapalooza, and I think we scheduled we something for a week or two after that, and it's been pushed back this far. But I'm glad we're finally sitting down and getting to do this. And uh, so with work, you know, because we all have to have real lives here, unfortunately, I wish I was able to do this just as my job. And then also I have five children. Now, keep in mind, two of them are grown, but they require much more assistance than my little work kids. <laughs> so there's there, there we have it. Oh, yeah. I'm same, same boat for me. I got a two-year-old and I got an eight-year-old and then I got a full-time job and then I got my show and then I do actually two shows. So it's like trying to set stuff up is crazy on top of the fact that I overschedule so much that I know you had some stuff that popped up with your job. I'm glad that we found something sooner rather than later because I was afraid it was just going to end up getting pushed back far. Me too. Me too. Yeah. It's a shame that life gets in the way of our passions, you know, and that's all what always happens. But uh, yeah, um, but, but hey, we are we are together now. So this is going to be good. Oh, yeah, for sure. So for uh, anybody that might not be familiar with who you are and what you do, uh, why don't you let them know a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your work? Sure, absolutely. So uh, uh, like you said at the beginning, my name is Ron Murphy, and I um, I uh, have always been interested in the paranormal ever since I've been a little kid. Uh, but um, I went to college, I went to the University of Pittsburgh, where I studied, um, I studied literature and I studied religion. And anthropology, and then I went to graduate school where I focused primarily on history. Um, I still have the love for the paranormal with me. Things that go bump in the night, cryptozoology, um, and what I was finding as I was delving into the world of world literature, or I was looking at legends and folklore from around the world, I started to see something that was a, a commonality. Uh, this idea of certain types of, of, of archetypes, 
wild man, you know, vampires, werewolves, all these things really were striking me. And as I started to connect the dots, I found out, you know, to much of my surprise, that these are all-encompassing um, fears of ours across the globe, uh, spending space and time and, and everything else. So as a researcher, um, I look into the, the meaning of cryptids, supernatural experiences, uh, and through a multidisciplinary lens, you know, using sociology and psychology and, and various other types of disciplines, uh, you find out that there's more here than just something that leaves footprints or, 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 or knocks on a tree or people sees, see lights in the sky that's unexplained. There's much more to this than meets the eye. And it really is part of our humanity. Um, there, it, it, it seems as if these experiences and these creatures, these entities, what have you, are actually embroidered into our DNA. Um, they need us as much as we need them. It's a very symbiotic relationship. And I find it very interesting in, in 2023 that we are still talking about these kind of creatures. We're still talking about, you know, werewolves, even though we put a man on the moon. And we're still talking about vampires, even though we have a satellite that's left our solar system. You know, all these things that would have terrified us when we were huddled around a fire um, are still scaring us today even though we live in high-rise buildings and we have electricity, you know. So there's something to it that's going on. So uh, I'm fascinated by the world of the unexplained, and I'm also fascinated by the experiencer, what, what they had seen as well, too. So that is kind of the basis for where I get started as a researcher. Uh, and I've written books. My first book that I wrote was The Unexplained World of the Chestnut Ridge, which deals with my research here in Western Pennsylvania. I live right at the foot of the Chestnut Ridge, and that has been um, a hotbed of UFO sightings. Kecksburg uh, is very near there. Mm -hmm. uh, UFO sightings, um, you know, anything really that you can think about. Uh, uh, Thunderbirds, you know, now, now there's even people reporting uh, what could be called fairies, you know, fairy activity around here as well, too. So that was my first book that I wrote. And then delving deeper and looking at things in particular, I've written books on mermaids and, and like I said, aquatic monsters of the Great Lakes and ghosts and, and fairies and, and witches. So, uh, yeah, that's what kind of keeps me off the streets. <laughs> So you have so much that I know I could have you on for multiple shows. We could probably barely start to scratch the surface on stuff, but at least for a first show, maybe we can uh, kind of touch base a little bit on each of the different phenomena that you've uh, started to cover, Absolutely. because I'd love to get in some mermaid stuff with you. That's been sparking my interest lately, but I know you also have Dogman, fairies, all that, of course, is sparking my interest too. So I guess we'll uh, try to run the gambit as far as we can between those. And then if you got to come back for next time, we'll definitely come back for our next time. Hey, I, I would love to. We, we definitely be able to do that. And after the holiday, my, my schedule will definitely thin out a bit. Uh, but uh, I think when we talk about whether it's mermaids or dogman or anything like that, um, and I noticed this as I was writing my books, is that I, I, I'm talking about uh, an aquatic, you know, uh, uh, entity uh, in the form of a mermaid. And then I'll be writing about uh, a modern encounter with a werewolf. And I'll see that I can... You know, I can actually extrapolate some of the things that I wrote about mermaids and apply them to werewolves because there is that commonality in it, right? There is, I mean, even though they're, they're, they're completely polar opposites, there is a commonality in the experience. And it impacts a person. They've had something happen to them that nobody else has happened to them. However, 
it still fits in with a historical lineage that somehow makes sense. Oh yeah, for sure. And when it comes to like the mermaids, for example, it seems like everything kind of has like its commonalities as far as like there's some type of calling sound that makes you want to come to them. And then after you come to them, they kind of mislead you by you thinking that they're one thing and they're actually another in particular with even like mermaids. But uh, as far as like I've been digging into those too, I mean, through folklore, you kind of have like where the stories kind of get intermixed a little bit where you can see that there's little pieces that came from a bunch of different areas. But at least as far as like modern folklore goes, it seems like it took all of these creatures that people were scared of a long time ago. And then they started trying to transform them into family oriented beings like prime example fairies everybody associates those with tinkerbell but you dig into the um old stuff and it's all like they're very like gross looking like angry little nymph looking creatures even mermaids you see all the different uh sightings that people you know have of those things when they are able to somewhat record them and they try to make them look like they're these like beautiful women but realistically they're more fish-like than anything and then even like modern day stuff with like werewolves they try to they kind of mix the vampire-esque feel into it where they have like this this call to them where they lo- they're like attractive and it makes people want to come to them, but it's never really like that. I mean, even the vampires, for example, you dig into the old stuff with them, they were never like beautiful creatures. Like they were intelligent, but they weren't like these beautiful creatures that lured people in either. Yeah, I, I think that's a great starting point, what you just talked about, because that really is the basis on so many levels of so many different types of, of, of archetypes. So we talk about the fairy, or about, uh, well, fairies or, or vampires or, or, uh, or mermaids. We're talking about creatures that exude some sort of sexuality. Uh, more often than, than not, they are depicted as women, right? So immediately we can see that we're dealing with a, a patriarchal society projecting on the world around them things that they fear most. And one of the things that they fear most is the usurpation of the power of the man um, by a woman. I mean, that's something that's very, very frightening of them. So in order to control that, whenever they get the vernacular of religion involved, now we can call things good or evil, right? And from the very beginning, mermaids had almost always been deemed evil, right? So in the natural world, you know, a, a, a pre-literate society, a pre-scientific society, we didn't have good and evil. We had things that were beneficial or things that were, you know, that were going to harm us in some way. But then whenever religion comes around and we have organized civilization, now we can talk about things that are are inherently evil but there's also choices involved as well too so as as uh you know so if we were in um, a hunter-gatherer society we really cannot control what goes around us Uh, we are at the mercy of the elements and if, if we go out on a hunt and it storms we're all at the mercy of these things but now we're getting into the point after civilization comes that we choose to leave the confines of our of our civilization which is based upon reason and stability and then we go out into the chaos of the world and that is where we put ourselves at the greatest risk so at the very beginning uh going back into the Roman period we see instances of the mermaids in the odyssey whenever odysseus wants to hear the mermaid siren song but if he does, it drives somebody crazy. So they lash him to the pro- or they lash him to the the mainsail of the uh, of the ship, so he can hear the sounds while everybody else has wax in their ears, right? So from that time, we start seeing that these these are 
are beautiful creatures outside, but inside there's something very vile and very evil. Now, by the time we get to the Middle Ages, we have mermaids being the embodiment of temptation, of a man's lust, because in order to see a mermaid, of course, you have to leave you know, humanity behind and go out into the water. And God forbid what happens out of the water. That's a place where danger lurks. That's a place where you have to, by free will, go out. And then by free will, you're choosing the temptation that is leading you ultimately to your death. So this was a great thing for theologians to play with in the Middle Ages, to talk about sirens and their siren song being the embodiment of temptation and evil itself. Of course, mermaids are so um, attractive to the human psyche. By the time we come to the late Middle Ages and the early Renaissance, uh, mermaids are now seen uh, incorporated into church architecture, and they are no longer evil, but they are in a state of perpetual grace because they are in a world of baptismal waters, right? So within a thousand years, the mermaid goes from something to being tempted to something that's being controlled. And that's a huge leap uh, in, in, in our understanding, in our, in our view of the world around us. Um, and this is also a time in history when women aren't treated so well, right? We're talking about witch hunts that are almost uh, uh, completely uh, against women. You know, maybe of all the witches that were executed in Europe, Possibly only 15% were men, so an alarming amount uh, was was women. So uh, the control of women was there, obviously, um, and the temptation was there. Uh, but we can see as everything progresses, uh, each culture will um, identify these things and evolve with these things uh, for their own benefit. Uh, people ask me, you know, you don't really believe in, in, in mermaids now, do you? And I said, you know, unless you eat a Dunkin' Donuts, there's a good chance that a mermaid sold you coffee mm -hmm. this morning, right? So it's part <laughs> of our culture. And um, and that, that's no different from whenever it first uh, started in, 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 in the, the Greco-Roman period. Oh, I will tell you, there is evidence, uh, probably pretty conclusive evidence of the sand people in, uh, I know it sounds like something out of Star Wars, uh, but it's S-A-N. So the San people in um, uh, sub-equatorial Africa um, have images in their rock art of what appears to be mermaid-like creatures. Say, there's even depictions of them as far as like Japanese culture goes. It's, it's one of those things that just goes across all culture. And I mean, at least I don't know if you follow all like the more current stuff, but there's been one guy that's been on uh, TikTok and YouTube who's a, sail a fisherman and he's been posting like these encounter videos of them. And it's one of those weird things that you never really think that you would ever see any kind of encounter videos of, right. but it's fascinating all the same. I mean, whether it's staged or not, I mean, it's, it just kind of adds to some of like the lore and the wonder of it. And then when you hear like the song, for example, like it's kind of a mix that when I've heard like recordings of it with people claiming to have heard it, it sounds almost like a, like a, like a whale song to me. So, I mean, it's a beautiful sound of course, and it definitely attracts people in. And I mean, that might be the matter of what it, was was that they just heard a beautiful sound and then they you know kind of leaned in to be able to figure out where it was coming from and then the boat hit a wave for example and then the person got tossed off and then it created right. this whole folklore around it but all the same though i mean definitely an alluring beautiful sound so i get why people would be drawn to it it just might be that it kind of got you know like fisherman story essentially that right. it went from somebody jumping up 
jumping off the boat or somebody like leaning over the boat and getting knocked over trying to hear a sound versus somebody jumping off the boat to try to get to some beautiful women they saw on the shore. Absolutely. I was at a, uh, a conference up in Michigan several years ago and somebody told me their mermaid story, which I found fascinating because you don't get a lot of people telling you mermaid stories. And she said that she heard the siren song. She heard this beautiful singing and it was outside of Reno, Nevada in a man-made lake. Hmm. That's no. super weird. I haven't, I haven't heard any of that. <laughs> no, I've never heard anything like that before either. But if we would go back to the, uh, the writings of Paracelsus, who was um, an alchemist, uh, but he was also a pretty smart guy. He had um, this great theory that minerals can actually help people. So he named zinc, zinc. And so he believed that people could get healthy uh, from uh, using minerals and, and, and other elements in the world around us. So not only was he trying to take base metal and turn it into gold, but he also had a lot of uh, a positive influence on toxicology and mineralogy. But he believed that mermaids were the controlling intelligence of of the world of water right so when we think about water we think that it's uh you know because for the for the alchemists it was very important that uh we they dealt with uh with 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 all the elements right so the controlling power of the earth the controlling element of the earth was the gnome because they lived within the earth so if you're trying to find out about the earth itself it's best if you deal directly with that intelligence within the earth. Okay. So if you're dealing with water, the, the, the undine, the, 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 the their word for, you know, uh, basically a mermaid, that is the intelligence in which the water abides by a natural, a natural rhythm and a natural flow. It's as if all these things like for, for fire, it's, it's the salamander, right? So all these things are in vibrational frequency with the world around them and they 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 in unison it's a vibrational frequency and that's what causes all the order right and to step out of that frequency is to cause disorder so if you're trying to control the world around you or learn lessons from the world around you it's best if you keep everything in a vibrational frequency in some sort of harmony and that's why you would deal with the intelligences within that particular uh, particular uh, realm. So, uh, you know, of the air, you have the sylph, which now we have incorporated into our winged fairy. So without the sylph, we would not have our Tinkerbell. Hmm. Wow, I never knew that one either. That's something interesting yeah. and new. Yeah. It's almost and like kind of associating with elemental spirits in a way. Right, right, right. It actually makes sense if you think about it, right? Because in a pre-scientific world, um, whenever they thought that, you know, and this is even biblical too, right? That if there is something wrong with you, it, it has to be a demon, right? There's some sort of malevolent force uh, impacting your body, right? So if you take that by extension, you would think that everything that harms you is a, a, a form of something, right? There's some sort of intelligence doing that to you. And then when you start projecting that onto the world around you, it becomes something you can at least deal with. You can reason with, you possibly can even placate with it. You can also communicate with it as well too. So when we think of, you know, witchcraft, you know, earth, fire, air, you know, all that good stuff, that was the de definitely the same thing that was going on with alch alchemism as well too. You were trying to learn and you were trying to control the world around you. So the more you knew about it, 
uh, the better that you know you would be at doing your your alchemy. Uh, but you know, carry this on another another century or so, and then it was believed by the Rosicrucians that the only wife that you should ever take as a human being is a female that is elemental. Uh, so now we have the idea coming out of being able to relate with these people on a very sexual, uh, in a very human way as well, too. So we see that running the full gamut as well. They go to something that is a natural spirit, and now they are personifi personified as, you know, as, as an element, and then they become something that you can actually interact with and possibly even marry and engage in physically. I seem, I find it kind of interesting that they started viewing the mermaid from a positive biblical perspective, considering that if anything, if you kind of dig into like the fallen angel concepts, you know, they came down and they mated with man and with different things. And if anything, it seems like it would more so fit like uh, some form of like a Nephilim. So I'm absolutely surprised that that, that was never like demonized in the biblical culture. They looked, seem to look at mermaids from a positive perspective. They, they did. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's because, you know, they, they probably didn't deal with the world of water like we do now. And, and when we think about like shipping and stuff like that, that isn't really a, a, a strong suit of, of uh, you know, the people from Israel. Right. So so we are dealing primarily with cultures that are, are seafaring. Right. So we do know that in 1492, whenever uh, Christopher Columbus was coming coming over, uh, right before he made landfall, uh, that he said that he did witness mermaids. And as he described them, they were not as beautiful as people say that they are. So he had seen something out there as well, too. So we do have, you know, within literature and definitely within history, uh, witnesses of these mermaids. Just out of curiosity, at least from like your perspective, from all everything that you've researched and encounters that you've kind of taken in, uh, what's kind of your belief as far as mermaids go? Do you think that there's something that really exists or do you think that they're more of just something that we've created through folklore? Yeah, see, that's difficult because, again, like you said at the, the onset, uh, we have in Asian cultures and, and, and Oceanic cultures, uh, the mermaid. Um, and if you look even at African cultures, almost invariably, the mermaid is described as having white skin, which is pretty shocking whenever you come from a culture that is predominantly, uh, 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 you know, have, have darker melanin. But um, uh, I do know that this was probably about 20 years ago. Uh, there was a dam being put in in uh, uh, one country in Africa, and uh, they had to bring in, 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 for lack of a better term, witch doctors to um, exercise the lake because the people that were building this dam said that they were being attacked on a daily basis by mermaids. So we <laughs> do have that, you know, as part of our, uh, but again, we're dealing with a culture that is based upon the world around them. Right. And like, here we are in front of, you know, electricity and everything like that. So we're pretty far removed uh, from, from that kind of a world. But, um, you know, as you said, people are still going on YouTube and they're still getting hits because this gentleman says that he's filming mermaids. And there's 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 a love for these things, even when we don't know that much about them and they may not even exist. But they do exist in as much as we want to believe in them. And they also exist in, you know, in, in, in The Little Mermaid and, and Disney and all that stuff. So to say that they 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 aren't real what we have to say is they're they might not be biologically real but they are indeed a part of our culture now the mermaid that was used for um for the uh for, for starbucks 
um, the Melusine, which is a very particular type of uh, splayed-tailed mermaid. And if you, th it doesn't take a lot of thought, but you know these things are highly sexualized, and also they're able to um, um, shape shift into the form of a female and walk on land as well too. Uh, but the uh, but the uh, uh, the Carolingians uh, trace their origins back to a Melusine. And if you look in um, uh, Mesopotamian cultures as well, too, in Babylon, uh, they also traced their origins back to a mermaid creature as well. So, I mean, that would kind of make sense in a way that, I mean, they talk about the whole evolution theory, that they're saying that everything theoretically came from water. So if people are still finding remnants of these things, I mean, like, it's definitely theoretically possible that they may have been actually, like, one of our forms that we came from and we maybe have like a misunderstanding of like the evolutionary process. Like maybe it was some type of like aquatic ape. So we have that part of it, right. But it's just a little bit different than what they assume that it did. But even yep. so, I mean, there's still definitely a possibility that there could be small little areas where these things some somehow existed through time and they still have like breeding populations and they stay far enough down in the water. And when water gets stirred up or they're doing stuff, then they start moving into different areas or even on the other side of it. I mean, they may not be like intelligent human like beings. It could just be some form of like a fish that we haven't fully discovered yet. Or we only see once in a while um, where maybe it does have some type of like humanoid top half with like an aquatic bottom half and it's just some type of like weird mutated species that Absolutely. we rarely find or that stays really far down on the bottom of the water and we never see them just like i mean squids to krakens i mean for a long time everybody thought that uh that was just something of myth and then there was right. the one perspective of it where they thought it was octopuses thinking they were attacking whales because they thought that the bottom of the boat was a whale but then once, you know, what was it, probably like 20 years ago or so, then we started getting down lower in the water and we started seeing babies of these giant squids and realized that these right. things were actually real and that we were just misunderstanding them. And I mean, it could be that they stayed higher up in the water before we really became so, so <laughs> verse as far as like sea travel goes. And now they just stay lower because they're not trying to get hit by boats on the regular. But back in the day when there was a boat you know, and then there wasn't another boat crossing the ocean for another six months. Like these things could right. probably stay a little bit higher on the water and not have a problem. <laughs> that's right. Well, well, that, that's a good point. We've got to talk about that for a little bit. So uh, the ocean has always been one of those things where I'm attracted to it, but I'm also terribly afraid of it as well, too. You and me both. And, you know, people, <laughs> yeah. People have said, you know, we more, know more about the moon than we do the earth. Uh, do the, the oceans, and, and that is true, you know. So, you know, 73, 74% of our earth is covered in water, and so much of that is salt water. Uh, and to put things in perspective, um, the Pacific Ocean is about the same size as our moon. You know that that's a huge amount of territory right there. There's there's some some uh, uh, suggestions that there might have been an asteroid that hit our Earth, you know, billions of years ago, and the Earth is act or the Moon is actually part of our Earth. It's one of those kind of theories as well, too. But whatever it may be, the Pacific Ocean is is about the same size as our Moon, and we're not only talking about. Like, so if we're looking for Bigfoot, we go to the Pacific Northwest. You have uh, a very limited dimension to work with, right? But the ocean has volume and it has mm -hmm. levels. You know, it, it's a very intimidating place. And, and, and what you said, I think, was was pretty extraordinary because people ask me, you know, if they're out there, you know, we're not so much about mermaid megalodon, you know, why don't people see it? Or if there's sea monsters out there, and undoubtedly 
there are things that live in our oceans that we know nothing about. Uh, that, that's that's a that, that's a hundred percent. I mean, it might not be something extravagant as, as Godzilla, but there's things out there that have not been categorized, right? Um, and they say, why don't we see these things? Well, one of the reasons why we don't see these things is the ocean. People aren't just going across this thing willy-nilly. There are, are paths in which boats go. So to think that every part of the ocean is getting crisscrossed, you know, with 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 with, uh, with shipping, that's indeed not the case. Uh, they go certain ways. They, they follow different routes. And if I were an animal that was instinctual and possibly even a bit self-aware, it wouldn't take very long to know if I stayed in this particular bit of water I won't see humans ever, right? So there's, it's very possible that there are things out there right now that have just learned to stay off the shipping routes and they're doing their own thing and they might never be discovered at all. I mean, even just going into just the depth of the bottom of the ocean too. I mean, it was uh, within the last 10 years that that one uh, man was down there with a sub and discovered that there's oceans under the ocean where the buoyancy is so high that he was able to bounce the sub off and couldn't go into it. Like who knows what could exist even going farther down into that, that there may be a totally different categorization of animals to begin with, that their life form is completely different than ours because they exist in a place that we never thought was possible before. Exactly. Exactly. And if anybody does break that barrier, that is akin to space travel because we've never been to this area before. We know nothing about the environment. We know nothing. And that's right here on our planet. And saying the even scarier part that gets added into that was that there was the random helicopter crash a week or two later after that guy discovered that. And when it comes to weird stuff like that, it kind of makes it seem like uh, they don't want people to dig into it. And there's just like a certain way of going about saying that. And I mean, at least as far as those underwater ocean goes too, um, I mean, maybe there is people that have already kind of discovered how to go underneath those. Because I mean, if there is theoretically like secret bases, for example, what not a better place than if you figured out how to get into this area that normal subs will just bounce right off of. It's almost like a natural force field created in this area. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. And and I would think that if it's out there and it's known about the military has probably sent something down into it. Oh yeah, for sure. Hands down. Yeah. That's <laughs> and, right. That's right. Yeah, that's why I think we know so much about a lot of things like uh, Bigfoot. You know, people had not really talked about infrasound until, you know, relatively recently. But the, one of the reasons why we start knowing more and more about infrasound is because it has such a powerful military component. You know, we know that the military, and not only our military, but militaries around the world, use infrasound as part of non-lethal, uh, 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 you know, combat. So it's, it's very possible they are gleaning things from the natural environment because they figured this stuff out uh, because, you know, we talk about, you know, people think that we're crazy because we're talking about things that go bump in the night and all that stuff. But wouldn't that be interesting if the military has been studying these things for a while and utilizing a lot of the things that they're finding naturally occurring within some of these animals? I mean, just to even throw even more into that, too, you talk about, like, the ninjin, the, like, Arctic-looking mermaids that exactly. the Japanese are talking about. And Japanese sailors say that they see these things on the regular. They've gotten pictures of them they've gotten audio of them they've gotten everything but it all gets scrubbed and the government won't let anybody see it but then you start digging into like their their lore as far as it goes and i think it's ninjo is the word that they use and they're supposed to be these like mythical mermaids that are supposed to be almost like a fountain of youth that if you eat them it actually preserves your your youth so i mean like maybe there is some truth to that maybe the japanese government is trying to figure out how to harness that so that they can sell it or use it for military practice maybe make people younger that were really really good soldiers or something but if it exists in the folklore i mean there still be might be some root of truth to it 
And considering how covered up that seems, even just looking up pictures of them, you find these goofy little depictions rather than like what they actually are described that they look like. It just seems like it's one of those things that's so under wrapped that there's got to be something weird to it. It's not just that there, there's, right. you know, one guy reporting it and blowing it up all over the place. Like there's a bunch of reports that regularly get scrubbed on these things. Yeah, there's definitely a kernel of truth in almost all of our legends. You know, they don't come out of vacuums. And the reason why they, they, they become legends and they grow and they spread is because it makes sense. Even though it might be fantastical and whimsical, the reason why we catch on to these things and allow them to continue is because they make sense to us, right? And that is one of the things that makes sense to us. You know, looking for the, the fountain of youth or, 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 or the answer to uh, eternal life, I mean, from the very first piece of literature, you know, uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh that was written pretty much contemporary with the uh, with the Great Pyramids. Uh, one of the things that we have in there is something that looks surprisingly like a Bigfoot character in the name of Enkaidu. Um, uh, you know, he's described as running with the animals covered in hair and all that stuff. Uh, we also see something that looks surprisingly like space travel when one of the characters is, is taken up and he, he looks out what looks to be some sort of port window and sees the earth moving beneath him him and then a a bull descends with flames and and smoke coming out of its nose um and also in there we have the character of uh, gilgamesh who has possessed the the flower of everlasting life and he has it taken from him by some sort of interestingly enough sea creature yep in which it disappears right so within that one little piece of, of literature that was written five thousand years ago and if it was written down that means the oral tradition is probably much older than that so we're getting glimpses back to the very very beginning of of not even human civilization but the idea of human you know uh, speech you know the, the idea of tradition which is 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 a latin word for passing down so we're getting to the oral tradition of these things, and um, it's interesting that in the very first utterance is ideas that there are things out there like Bigfoot, or there's the possibility of, of flight or being taken up or abducted, mm -hmm. and the idea that there are things in the water, right, that we could only call monsters because we don't understand them. And I mean, just to even throw into like the whole aquatic concept with there being infinite life, you have things like immortal jellyfish. And I mean, that's something that we know that lives in the water that somehow is able to basically regenerate its cells to a point where it never actually dies. So, I mean, we haven't found anything like that that exists on land, but we found something like that that exists in water. Maybe there is something to aquatic creatures that there's something different to their environment that they're able to do such things. So if you already have it seen in one species that we know of that already exists i mean the mermaids could theoretically be something else just like that and that could right. partly be why they're so hardly kept under wraps is because maybe the immortal jellyfish they know the average person is going to be able to just go down and figure them out but if you figure out that there's these beings that you could have a conversation with and theoretically figure out you know eternal life like that they will of course want to keep that completely under wraps as much as possible even if there's just a little whisper of it it's one of those things that just like any other government project it's like if there's a whisper of somebody doing something every government has to hop in on it because if they're wrong or if they're right they don't want to be the one that's behind as far as that research goes so if there's even a whisper about there being something weird 
weird with mermaids, then they're going to keep it under wraps until they can figure it out first because they don't want to be the last to know the information. Same as the that's giant right. concept, too, with that's the right. government that's trying right. to hide all the giant bones. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And the other thing that we talked about earlier, too, is the idea of, you know, we all came from the water uh, from a from a, the evolutionary perspective. So it might be that since we've, you know, life started to crawl out of the water, you know, uh, you know, a billion years ago or whatever. It's very possible that there are still things within that primordial soup going through evolutionary processes that we simply don't understand. It's like you said about the immortal jellyfish. You know, they're going through processes continually unbroken for that many years. And I mean, we randomly are always still discovering like prehistoric animals that are still alive at the bottom of the ocean. Like, uh, what was it? 19, it was the early 1900s. They discovered that prehistoric fish. And it got caught up in a net, which means it was alive until they actually brought it up. So, I mean, somehow there was something that was prehistoric existing down there. Who knows what things life cycles could theoretically be like down there. And, I mean, there might even be something about a particular area of water where maybe things just don't age in general. Like, maybe that's what the ocean under the ocean is, is just this weird soup of everything that makes it so that things don't age within that area because maybe there's no pressure on them or something because there's the buoyancy so light. or there's There's got to be something weird to it. I like it. I like that theory very much. And we know that Greenland shark can live about four or 500 years, right? And we know that uh, you talked about the coelacanth. I think that was in the 1920s when everybody was going through a farmer's market. And lo and behold, there's a living fossil right there on the table. Uh, But Jacques Cousteau, uh, it must have been in the 70s, he did a lot of research on them. And we do have uh, extant footage of living well, water breathing, um, coelacanth is doing their thing in the uh, in the Indian Ocean. So we do have photographic proof that these things are out there doing their fishy things. And uh, just a just a side tier a little bit because as much as I'm loving the fish conversation, I want to make sure that we're able to kind of touch fairies because we touched it a little bit earlier, and I feel like these thing two things will go really good together because they're both very folklore based. Uh, but as far as fairies go, obviously there's been pictures for years that have been proven as hoaxes. Um, but I mean, there's still got to be some form of truth to it. And at least from like my perspective, everybody talks about these lights that they can't necessarily figure out where they fall into. Some people pull them into the paranormal. Some people pull them into the cryptid stuff. Some people pull them into the paranormal. But I feel like there's like a root of truth to that, that maybe that is what fairies are. And anything past that that was conceived was just people creating stuff in their own mind. But whether that's like ball lightning or there's something weird uh, scientifically to it, or it is some type of conscious being, I feel like that that had to have been like the base of like where most of the fairy folklore started. Uh, right. So um, my the, the, the newest book that will be coming out uh, in 2024 uh, will be my book called uh, An Inquiry into Earthlights. Because I was out doing an investigation with uh, with small town monsters uh, for uh, a series that is right now on YouTube. It's absolutely free. It's called Sasquatch Uncovered: The Ridge, which is about uh, the uh, the Chestnut Ridge here. Um, if any of your viewers want to check it out, uh, so it's all filmed. So it's not like this is subjective. What we're looking at. Uh, it was episode two called uh, Spectral Bigfoot when we were on a Bigfoot investigation. And instead of Bigfoot showing up, these lights started showing up. And not only did they show up, they started to interact with us to the point that it seems as if they were intelligent. Things were approaching some of our members. Uh, They were going level on the ground horizontally, then immediately went up into the trees. Uh, They were changing colors. Uh, So I do urge you and any of your listeners, again, 
uh, Small Town Monsters, Sasquatch Uncovered the Ridge, Episode 2, Spectral Bigfoot, because all of this is it has been documented in, in, within an hour. of uh, It's an hour episode, so please check it out. But I was so overtaken by the experiences that we had that I decided to write, write a book about it. And we see, uh, through the research that I've done, that these lights have been you know they're, they're they're ubiquitous. They they've been out there uh, from really the beginning of time. You can see hints in uh, the Australian culture that goes back uh, unbroken, maybe forty five thousand years, uh, with the idea of lights playing a, an integral part in their dream time. They're 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 kind of uh, you know time out of time sort of thing. Uh, and we know that there's Native American legends uh, regarding Earth flights. Uh, they're very pronounced in certain Asian cultures as well. And, of course, in England and the European tradition, we have spook lights. We have St. Elmo's fire. And we have, ultimately, fairy lights. So my theory, as we are going down this rabbit hole, um, that I've believed in the Gaia theory uh, for for years, since I've been in, 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 in college, um, and the idea that the Earth is a living organism. And not only is it a living organism, but I think there's an intelligence to it as well. And if we talk about Earth lights, could this be the, um, let's see how we can put this. Could this be a way for the Earth itself to not necessarily observe, but interact with what lives upon her, you know, um, I've been in a few situations that have dealt with, with earth light sightings and it truly is magical. I mean, there's really no other way to describe it. It's, it's as if you are dealing with, uh, an unknown entity. Uh, sometimes it's very beautiful in the way that things are displayed, but sometimes it's very terrifying as well too. Um, but yes, I, I, as an investigator, and as a researcher that has been doing this for about 30 years, I've had anecdotal things happen to me in regard to Bigfoot. You know, finding the rare track, um, hearing, you know, maybe a howl or something that sounds like a wood knock. Sure, that's one thing. Um, and ghosts, you know, see we've seen shadows and spirit box and all that kind of stuff. But to have something emanate out of the earth itself and acknowledge you in a way that you would not expect it to be so overwhelming, but it is. Um, that's one of the things that really keep me going because if these are intelligent lights, if these, if these lights are intelligent, if they are sentient, if they are entities of some kind, and if they are made out of light or some sort of electricity, then that should mean that they could be measured in somehow. But is it possible that these lights that we see is capable of impacting the electricity within your brain to allow you to think that you're seeing something that you're not. You know, that's the thing. So people have taken blurry pictures of Bigfoot. People have claimed to see Bigfoot or have taken pictures and nothing shows up. Is it possible? And think about this as a, a defense mechanism, right? This is the ultimate defense mechanism to make yourself appear like something that you aren't to avoid confrontation, you know, it, it, it's beautiful, right? So that's one of my theories that's going on right now, that what people are seeing are, are influenced by these lights. Um, and we do know uh, that, you know, adding certain types of electricity to different parts of your brain 
can control the way you see things and the way you observe things. We talked about infrasound earlier, the military application. Uh, we know from a, a study that was done by MSNBC, I think it was back in the 80s, that people that are, are um, presented with or influenced by infrasound often have reports of experiencing paranormal activities, uh, seeing shadowy creatures, uh, hearing noises that aren't there, you know, definitely seeing things that aren't there. So if that's capable of, of infrasound, and we know, you know, looking at shock therapy and all these other kind of things that have been done to the human brain, we know that we can control the way somebody observes the world through these bases. Is it possible that these, these earth lights are indeed capable of influencing what we see as well? I'm really glad that you brought that up because that's actually something that I've been kind of tossing around for a while. I talk about it mainly on my other show, Bizarre Encounters, but the whole concept that the reason why these lights are associated with the paranormal, uh, aliens, Bigfoot, any literally any phenomenon is because I kind of was inferring that they were like some type of elemental being that, again, like you said, uh, can take the shape of anything that it chooses to, to scare you away, lure you in, whatever you want it to be. And if you're looking at it from that perspective, then that would mean that you know, a lot of these sightings that people see could literally just all be the same thing, choosing whatever it wants to be. And as time goes on and the lens of things starts to change, that could be why the view of these creatures start to change is because of just the lens of people changing in general. And these things could be just like a life form that we don't understand because we look at everything from being carbon based, but these things could actually be light based. And I mean, whether the earth is conscious or not, um, you know, just like the human body, there's a bunch of like little tiny bacteria, different living organisms that live within the human body to begin with. I mean, these could essentially be the same thing again for earth itself that they may not necessarily be like earth itself, like spectating, so to speak, but maybe just some type of other organism that lives within the earth and possibly like helps the earth in some way, shape or form. And I mean, that could be part of like why it scares people away from certain areas of the woods as Bigfoot or why it does this as this certain creature is because it's actually trying to preserve specific areas on the planet itself, which kind of intermixes your theory on it with my kind of theory of them being uh, like elemental beings. Uh, that's right. That's right. So beautifully stated. I Nobody's researching this. I, I find it odd. And Seth Breedlove does an amazing, amazingly good job with his inquiry into, um, you know, the, the, the cryptid and, and UFOs and things like that. He does a great job. But if I were involved in that particular filming, I would have dropped everything that I was doing and say, we're no longer focusing on Bigfoot. We're focusing on what happened to us tonight. Right. And think about this. Okay. People are experiencing these things, but if you're filming and your focus is on Bigfoot, you're not going to include this in what you're doing because it makes no sense mm -hmm. to the, the, the legend, the lore of, 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 of your, of your query. Right. So, so much of this stuff is being overlooked because it doesn't fit in with what the objective was of the program or whatever. But I think that we have to look at the world completely differently because, you know, ghosts are often said to appear as orbs, strangely enough, right? mm -hmm. and, and UFOs. So what, what, what I maintained the night that this was happening with all the orbs, I said, if we were on a ghost investigation, this would have been great television, right? Because we were getting orbs everywhere, okay? 
And if we were on a UFO investigation, this was also would have been good because, again, are we talking about some sort of intelligence behind these things, whatever was going on? But because we were looking for Bigfoot, it didn't make any kind of sense, so it was basically pushed aside. I mean, it was filmed, it was commented on, but there was nothing following it up, and I think that was desperately needed uh, for what we were we were doing because I think we were really onto something. I think for whatever reason these things decided to interact with us. Um, we were hearing some wood knocks. We were hearing some um, I guess howls, vocalizations let us say. But the most startling thing that has happened before we started to see these illuminations was this. We heard a sound that sounded like wind chimes. And I, I, I still get kind of goosebumpy whenever I think about that right now. So it was, it was you know, the dead of night, you know, midnight or something like that, I do believe. And uh, we start hearing what appears to be very, very soft wind chimes. And then within maybe minutes, uh, these things start showing themselves. Now, you know, we, we know that, that music is based upon scale and it's based upon rhythm. Uh, and it, it, it's based upon a lot of things that are mathematical. And I was wondering, I mean, is that a way of communication as well, too, that we just couldn't grasp what was going on? Because it was a sound as if somebody was, what was the, the wind chimes were blowing, but it sounded as if the chimes were set at a particular musical scale, right? A particular a note that was being hit. Um, and of course, you know, music is also frequency and, and everything else. So uh, I would urge you to take a look at it and watch it. And I would urge your viewers uh, to take a look at it and watch it as well, too, and see what their conclusion is, because that is one of the most startling things that I'd ever investigated. And that's really what's starting to set me down the road now, focusing more on the idea that the elemental, the fairy or whatever, is something not from our superstitious past but something that's still out there to this day. I'm really, really glad that you brought all this up because this has actually been some uh, research that I've been doing on the side myself. And uh, actually to combine a couple different people's views on this type of stuff. Uh, so Carter Bouchard I had on the, on the show not too long ago, and he's had a couple different claims of seeing these orbs with like Sasquatch faces or like Sasquatch characteristics. And they were blue orbs that he saw moving through his house. And then combining with somebody else's research too, um, the whole portal theory, there's a bunch of different people that are all kind of thrown into the pot. Um, but at least to kind of connect into some of the stuff that I started digging into, uh, you have like uh, Hellier, for example, where they're trying to figure out what's going on with the uh, that mineshaft cave. And they're talking about the three tone, the bump on bump thing. Right. And I was thinking about with my portal theory that I've been digging into as far as there being some type of magnetic field, um, usually like in a circular shape, which seems to normally be caused from like some type of volcanic activity during some point in time that created uh, magnetized volcanic stone on top of some type of stone that usually refer or it's kind of like a battery for like quartz, for example, something that like retains energy. And then you throw in something into where you throw in pitch and frequency, which seems like it also could kind of fit with the Bermuda triangle as far as like the low hums coming from boats, planes, things like that. And it seems like those could potentially be the three things that you need in order to open portals. So if you were hearing that sound in the middle of the woods, it could be because of there being a portal opening. And that was the three tones that was used to open the door, the frequency to open the door. 
and connecting in with uh, Carter Bouchard's theories as far as like Sasquatch goes, he was again talking about how they condense themselves into these balls of light so that they'd be able to move through different areas. Um, that could be what it is, is that, I mean, whether these things are orbs that are showing whatever image that they want to show or these orbs or a condensed version of something that exists somewhere else. It seems like there is some type of connection with these, these fairy lights, these orbs and in other, in another world. And I mean, even digging into the Fae as far as like fairy lore goes that they go to this other place that time works differently. Uh, it seems like it's also kind of there too, that these things may have had some type of ability to move interdimensionally or through portals, but through old folklore, you're viewing it as like the fairy world where now right. we look at it from a scientific standpoint, because you add the time loss concept and this time shift concept mixed in with these balls of light. And it, again, it just connects to me and seems like everybody kind of knew that these things were capable of opening portals, but it's just a matter of looking at it through different lenses, through different periods in time. Yeah, beautifully stated, beautifully stated. Now, are you in Pennsylvania? I'm in Michigan. I'm in the bottom Michigan. corner of Michigan. Wow, 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 yeah. We should get together sometime as, over the summertime and see what we can delve into. Oh, we absolutely. Try, we could try different tones and things like that and frequencies out in the woods and see, and, you know, instead of knocking on trees and everything, it might be interesting to go out there with a tone generator to see what would happen. I've heard a lot of people say with like Sasquatch research that they'll use the singing bulls, which again, kind of goes into the frequency concept. And I've heard of a lot of different stories of people talking about how native Americans, they had a different word for portals, of course, but they were able to open up doors to other worlds and how they would do it is through different tones and frequencies from different objects. So, I mean, yeah, I'm definitely down to go and do some research into it. I think that there's really, really something to it. But I think it's not just a single tone. I think it's multiple tones played at once is what opens the doorway. Because when people are using singing bowls, things like that, it's a single tone. I feel like there needs to be a combination of, from what I've kind of researched, it seems like it's usually three tones. Well, that's what we were hearing as well, too. Yep. I, I wish we had a musician out there that would understand, right? But it was definitely, it was definitely something that was tuned in right i mean it was it was a sound and it was a pattern it wasn't just random it was a sound and a pattern um but yeah, i think that that makes logical sense when you talk about the rocks as well too we have a lot of limestone around us as well and when you think of some interesting things like barney and betty hill that happened in new hampshire which is the granite state right so there are a lot of these things are happening like you said around places that have a specific type of mineral around too Yep, exactly. It's, uh, it's harnessing energy and then it's opening something. And then I feel like there's these, uh, it's a matter of, again, the people's perspective on what they actually end up seeing. But I mean, like these things could theoretically not necessarily have, a sh have like a shape or like, uh, something that we can, we can make out. So what we end up doing is we end up creating an image over them. And it may not necessarily be that they're projecting an image on us, but rather that we can't make any conscious sense out of what these things actually look like. So our brain manipulates it into something that we can perceive because it, it might just, again, be like these balls of light that don't have any real characteristics or shape. But once they start coming into like full form, then they become something that we can't even comprehend. So then we just put our own lens over it in order to, for us to be able to understand it. I, I like that a lot. Um, back in 1999, I was on an, uh, an expedition looking for a werewolf because there's this area here in Western Pennsylvania where people claim to see something that looks like a werewolf or at least resembles a werewolf. So I was down there with one other researcher, probably about 11 o'clock at night. And um, we noticed that all around us, 
the uh, the the night sky starts having these these sparks. It looked like if you pulled a uh, a, a blanket off of your bed, that kind of elect you know that that electricity was going on, um, some sort of static electricity. So we were already getting a little frightened by this. I had not been on very many other um, research expeditions before. Um, and then we noticed that our electronics was starting to go, right? Now, it was cooler outside. Sometimes batteries are drained quicker like that. But we're talking about cameras and we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, flashlights. Everything was draining, okay? So we were uh, spooked. I mean, there was something going on here that, that was unusual. So we said, we have to get out of here, right? So the area we were researching is there's one way in, there's one way out. That's the exact same way. It's an old abandoned town uh, that was flooded over during the flood control uh, back in the 1950s. So it's an abandoned place, uh, nothing but wilderness. There's no ambient light around. The closest house is probably two miles away. So we decided that it's time to get out and we have to go back into the woods in order to follow the trail back to our car as we get ready to leave we turn towards the the, the trail that we're on and we you know go uh, about face to go out and there lo and behold in the trail illuminates a light it, it didn't really illuminate as much as um emanated it, it kind of just appeared right and it appeared and it grew into full force and then it sparkled out as it, it almost looked like a flare, uh, how it has that glittery thing, you know, almost like uh, something uh, from a 4th of July, like a Roman candle or something like that. So this light comes on, it, it, it flickers out, and we are terrified. Uh, but there's no other way of avoiding it. We have to go that way. So we start going back that way, and we noticed that whatever this light was was probably about six to eight feet up in the air. I mean, it wasn't on the ground. It was high. When we get immediately to the point where the light came on, something off to our right in the woods starts moving. <laughs> um, again, we didn't see anything, but the research and I imagined in our mind that it was a werewolf. And what your point is correct, right? If you're looking for something, that's probably what you will see, right? Your brain is trying to fill in the blanks. It doesn't know mm -hmm. what's going on. So we thought that it was a werewolf and we could hear it walking. We could hear it taking in breath. It's big, whatever it is, okay? And it's not scared of us whatsoever. So at this point, we start doing a pretty, uh, a, a, a pretty quick jog uh, to get the hell out of this place. Uh, we start feeling, you know, branches hitting our faces and tripping us up and everything. And we look down, and lo and behold, we are off the trail. It starts getting a little bit scary here. So we are now off the trail. It's pitch black. Our flashlights no longer have any kind of battery power. So we are now at the mercy of whatever is out there with us, right? Um, before unbridled panic sets in, off to my left... I hear my name being called. My partner heard it as well, too. We, we yelled out because we assumed it's another person out there. Uh, there was no answer. But we turned to follow the voice. And as we turned to follow the voice and we went, we went a few hundred yards, we found our, well, ourselves back on the path again. So without that voice coming out we would have continued walking straight into an ambush or maybe nothing even that melodramatic, maybe simply tripping and falling or, or whatever. We, we were off the trail, but that one voice led us back 
And so was there multiple instances going on? Was it the same entity? What exactly was going on? But we know that when we turned and we found the trail, we started to go up the incline to our car. We knew that this creature that was in the woods, you know, it was, it was facing us. You could hear the orientation of the sounds that it was making constantly shifting. And as we started to walk up that hill, you could hear it moving around and what you could imagine and the, 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 what the first image that I got was of frustration that it was not able to prey upon us, whatever the case may be. But the ultimate emotion that I got that was being portrayed from that thing in the woods was it was frustrated. So I wonder if that was because maybe it was the same thing that was the voice and was the thing that you saw, but it was that you guys were too close to it when it originally kind of was trying to give off its impression like it was some type of big creature. And then once you guys lured off the path, maybe it wasn't necessarily something that was dangerous. So it wasn't necessarily trying to push you guys out into the middle of the woods. So it kind of called you to come back towards your guy's car. And it was frustrated because it came out where it wasn't expecting to come out. And uh, a couple episodes back, I was talking to somebody about, um, it was Dr. Hine, about um, this concept where you rearrange the electrons and the protons in a totally different setup. So they're not like the typical idea of what you'd assume an atom would be, but rather that it kind of like does this spider web pattern outward. And when it does that, it pulls energy in. So it's like an infinite power source, but at the same time, it drains energy from everywhere else. And we kind of got into this whole concept about this other realm that exists, not necessarily being like another parallel dimension, but rather that it's almost like a negative dimension. And when you have these experiences where you have like battery drain, different things like that, it's actually because of the opening going into this negative dimension that it's pulling particles back in. And that's where the creature comes out from is from there. And that's why right after a lot of these events where you'll have the massive power drain, that there'll be really like, there'll be static in the air. Cause that's like the little bit of remnants pushed back out after this theoretical portal would have closed at that point, because you can't let it go on infinitely forever. Cause it'll just keep sucking all the energy like that's around hole. it in. Yeah. Essentially yeah. like a black hole from going into like a negative, a negative dimension rather than like a parallel dimension. Right. Boy, that's fascinating. See, I'm glad that you've done your homework and there's other people out there doing their homework too, because nobody talks about this. You know, they want to hear, you know, you know, I, I was chased by Bigfoot or they want to hear about, you know, the tree knocks and all that kind of stuff. But I think this stuff is so much more fascinating. Oh yeah. Same here. That's that one of the best parts I think about being able to do a podcast is that I get to talk to a bunch of different people that research into this stuff. I get to throw my ideas into it. And then in turn, I can then carry the, some of the information from one person into another and hopefully connect different people doing the same type of research. But I feel like a lot of shows that are kind of like mine are the connecting factor for a lot of this stuff. Why Absolutely. everything's been so divided forever is because there wasn't podcasts like this that started connecting all these different communities to start actually thinking like and realize that they, a lot of their theories are very, very close and that they just need to kind of work on everything together. That's right. Yeah, you know what? And and we will definitely have to do this again. I, I'm so glad that we were able to get this done tonight because it's been, it's been so long. But we'll have to find a time because you know, I, I unfortunately I have other uh, other uh, calls to make tonight uh, uh, with my children. They they are all involved in something. So my time tonight unfortunately was very limited. But um, we're going to have to discuss this further when we have a wee bit more time because, you know, this is something we really can't just leave completely examined. 
Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll have to. Uh, we can go back and forth through messages. We can inter- uh, exchange information, uh, and then maybe we can even go out and do some research together and stuff too. But yeah, we definitely have to come back on this and talk more about this, and then we can even go on my other show, Bizarre Encounters, with Oren, who dives into a lot of the same stuff I do, and have three different minds kind of all starting to mesh on these concepts because he's been talking about the same thing for a while too. Yep, I'm looking forward to it. Let's let's do this again. Like I said, I, I I hate to run, but let's do this again very very soon. Absolutely. We'll set something up uh, ASAP. We'll set something up uh, this weekend so that we can run something in the future. Uh, But before I let you go, of course, I got to at least wrap it up with uh, words of wisdom and then where everybody can come and find you at. All right. Well, let's see here. My words of wisdom would be, you know, I I hate to borrow somebody else's wisdom. but I'll say, let's quote a little bit of Shakespeare. There's more things in heaven and earth that are dreamt of in our philosophies. How about that? That's a good one, right? It's perfect. That works. (laughs) And then, uh, Amazon, um, a couple of my books are available at Walmart. So you can go to Walmart and say, you know, Ronald Murphy, one of his books and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so they'll be able to order it for you or whatever. But um, so, uh, or Amazon, like I said, Ronald L. Murphy Jr. Or you can get in touch with me on Facebook at Ronald L. Murphy Jr., my author page. Get in touch with me. We'll talk and I will send you out books if you want that. Absolutely. And I'll include all of the uh, links down in the show description so everybody can come and find everything quick and easy. You're the man. Thanks again for uh, making the time to come on today, and I'm really looking forward to diving into all this stuff even more with you. I cannot wait, sir. Thank you very much, and thanks a lot for the listeners as well, too. Absolutely. If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. And if you guys leave a five-star review, then, of course, I will read it on the show, give you guys a big shout-out. Like I always say, give appreciation where appreciations do. And if anybody has an encounter that they'd like to report, don't forget I do have a specific email set up for that. It's OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will go directly to my email, of course. And then I, we can uh, have a discussion, figure out exactly what you want to do about the encounter. If you're somewhere close, maybe I can come investigate it for you. Uh, if you just want to share the encounter in general, get it out in the open. I'm more than happy to talk about it on the show. But if you want to have it kept private, that's totally okay with me too. Just don't forget to share your encounter reports because I would absolutely love to hear them. And uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of me for any other reason whatsoever, you guys can always email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast.outlook.com or you can come and find me on social media. I am the most active on Instagram, so that'd be number one. But you guys can always still hit me up on Facebook. I definitely check and stay active on there too. And everything that I mentioned is all available off the link tree available down in the show description. And with that, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.